0: Snap production. the s the ISX stocks. This is the Motley Fool Money Mailbag.
1: Welcome to Motley Fool Money, our very special Sunday Mailbag edition. What would Sunday be without a mailbag? What would mailbag be if it wasn't? That no, doesn't work. Anyway, I'm Scott Phillips, and with me, of course, is Andrew Page. How are you, mate? Very good, sir. How are you? Good. My career as an ad-lib comedian has just gone out the window, but the good news is. <laughs> The good news is it never started in the first place. I'm not losing much, which is which is, which is saying something. Mates, um, we are recording this on Thursday, so I won't ask you how your weekend's been, but I hope you're having a good one. It's going to rain all weekend in my place. Is it going to rain up there too? I'm actually going to be in Bury this weekend. In Bury? Yeah. Not far from me.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's my mum's nice. 70th, so we're all heading oh. down there. We haven't caught up for Lovely, a while. Lovely, mate. So
1: yeah, looking forward to it. Beautiful. That'll be nice. Well, I hope you're enjoying that while our listeners are enjoying this podcast. Just quite the you get the better end of the stick. They're stuck with us and you're uh, you get to be away from us. So <laughs> I think it's a, a win-net, net, but uh hopefully they're enjoying it. Mate, you are the managing director and founder of strawman.com, apparently a private online investment club if I remember rightly. You, you remember correctly. That's it. Good, good. Um I did also promise you a crypto question or two, but that's not going to be how we start. Can I just podcasts. say
0: Can I just say I'm I'm a little bit uncomfortable being painted as the as the crypto laser-eyes diamond hair. And kind of guy. Oh, like, you
1: painted yourself as like, that. I, don't, I, you don't, know, blame for don't blame other people for this. Don't blame other people for this.
0: It's like so much in the world; like it's just extreme. <laughs> it's Like you either hate it or you love it, and there's no <laughs> totally in Totally right. It's sort of yeah. like I think it's interesting, yeah. but I just you know I don't. I'm, I'm mindful of being of being painted as the guy who's all in on this. Uh, it's
1: it's there's there's context and nuance. <laughs> I just That's right. make that point exactly. Your nickname of the crypto kid is completely coincidental. <laughs> Unfounded. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, um, yes, we will. We will have a question about crypto because it's kind of a fun area to talk about. But as as you said before, we, we it is you know, fun. It's, well, it's it's fun, but it's also like those things. You know, when you have when you have discussions about about stuff, right? Whatever it is, politics or life or just investing or whatever, you kind of agreement happens really fast, mm. and disagreements where all the fun and, and stuff is. And so you kind of end up spending a disproportionate amount of time on the stuff that's kind of a bit crinkly, right? Because it's where, it's the interest, it's the interaction, it's the engagement. So like, yeah, you know, we both believe that. Let's move on. Yeah. It's like, but talk about this other thing. Let's talk about that. And so the kind of, the, the controversial, the new, the different, that's where a lot of time gets spent. And as you've said yourself, like it's a, a relatively tiny part of your personal portfolio. We've talked about it more than, your entire rest of your portfolio combined, I assume. Yes. Yeah. And so to your point, it's not like, guys, I'm not, I'm not 90 crypto here. Like, it's a small part of my portfolio that hopefully will go well. I uh, have, have a view which may or may not turn out, but don't, don't overdo it. Um, as opposed to, oh man, I'm all about crypto. I'm all about whatever the new cool thing is. Yeah. Um, it's almost, it's almost by definition, you, you should be, you know, whatever's in the news, you, you should discount by close to two thirds, right? And, and more yeah. importantly, then look at the stuff that's not being talked about. Maybe there's the opportunity because it's kind of not always the case. But uh, there's a reason that contrarians do okay some of the time, maybe most of the time, because they're looking where other people aren't. And if everyone's already on this one thing, um not not, not saying it's bad. It is so just, just, just keep it in. Well, I was gonna say keep it in proportion, keep it, keep it disproportional to the amount of uh, effort and airtime it gets in, in any any topic, investing or otherwise, right? Uh,
0: yeah, I, and I, I guess I'd add too that investing in anything is it's always a probabilistic game, you know. Yeah, yeah. So it's just it's 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 a question. I think it's like as we've talked about it a lot of times before. Yeah. We go in. With any investment, knowing that there's a very, very good chance that it, it won't work out. But it doesn't mean mm, you don't mm. do anything. It's about being right more often than you're wrong or, or winning yeah. more than you're losing, and that's still totally okay. Right, right. It's process, it's process yeah, yeah, over yeah. individual outcomes, which is the important thing. And yeah, I think I like what it. comes with that too is that – while none of us can avoid making mistakes, I've often said that you know Buffett Buffett makes mistakes all the time. Mm-hmm. He's supposedly the yep. world's greatest investor, the real mistakes though are, are doubling down when when you could objectively say the original thesis was broken. It's the good money after mm. bad. It's the head mm-hmm. in the sand mm-hmm. kind of approach. That's yeah. that's the true mistake. And I think the re, really good investors are very agile in their thinking. It's that um, strong mm. beliefs weakly held kind of idea. Yeah, I love it. Where yeah. you need to be, where you need to sort of. You know, sort of go go in with a particular thesis, but have mm. some have some real key points as to to uh, to look to, to 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 validate or otherwise whether that has been correct, and and if it if it has been incorrect, don't beat yourself up because it happens to everyone. Mm. Um, just just make sure you see it for what it is and, and, and make the appropriate moves rather than, rather than just doubling down and, and sticking, sticking your fingers in your ears and going la, 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 la. la. That's,
1: that's where the real mistakes are made. <laughs> exactly, exactly. All right, let, let's, let's move away from that. We will come back to it briefly, but we'll move away. Hey, fun, fun stat, mate, uh, just, just completely random because we like a tangent here. Um, while uh, between recording episodes, um, I saw an article in the Wall Street Journal. You know Lionel Messi, the, the soccer player? Not, uh, no, I don't. But that doesn't mean anything. Go. He's a famous soccer player. The, the the tweet is just simply this: Lionel Messi has to work for only twenty hours to pay cash for an average house in his new home country of France. <laughs> Sorry, on the big bucks in it. Twenty hours, half a week. go I'll, I'll start work on Monday. I'll finish lunchtime on Wednesday. I'll buy a house. How could that be? Yeah, though it doesn't really work in
0: practice, does it? I think the people paying him are not going to be okay with that, um, and therefore you're going
1: the- to want that. They- Yes, to work the rest of the week as well, you reckon. I
0: think he I think he probably does. Not that I feel sorry for him. I'm sure he's paid <laughs> no, ridiculously exactly. well. Um, but yeah. There are bigger, problems. There, 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 are bigger there, problems. There's some interesting, you know, that you, you hear that you hear that a lot in, in other ways, like, oh, Bezos made X
1: billion dollars this week. Yeah. It's like, well, yeah, yeah. did he? Um, you know. <laughs> it, 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 Don't spoil my fun. Don't sorry. spoil my fun. <laughs> I just thought it was fun. But let's start with a question from Chris. He says, Hey again, Scott. Again, I echo what I said last time about the great job you and Android doing with the podcast. And and." being approachable for everyday investors have saved me from countless mistakes. Thank you, Chris. I hope we haven't tipped you into too many others, mate. But if we're doing our job, that's good. A question for the pod. A long one. Feel free to summarise. I won't because it's not that long, mate. There was a question a few weeks back on trading on inside information. It got me thinking. Firstly, how do directors and CEOs go about buying shares in the company for which they work? They're in a position where they are very well informed on how the company is going well before that information is made available to the public, i.e. sales are booming more than expected, some unforeseen tailwinds, etc. So they could buy shares thinking the company would be undervalued given how the year has been going so far. Yeah, This would be the very definition of insider trading and presumably does not occur. I like presumably. How are insiders safeguarded? From accusations of insider trading when buying and selling shares. Great question. It's a kind of a it's, it's, yeah, it's a structural one, um, but it's a really good one. There's so much cynicism about this, mate. I I ran on ETFs on a Friday, and uh, I happened to tweet about it as well. And I got more than one reply saying, "Oh, well, that's what well, that's what you guys would say because you just hate ETFs because you're trying to pick stocks and they're going to beat you." And someone else said, "Oh, you you sell stuff and you make money, and they're not they're not incorrect." Sometimes the cynicism is okay. Sometimes, like, guys, it, it's, it's okay, really, trust me, it's fine. Um, but this one is an interesting one, mate, because it's a very, very valid question, almost by definition. Yeah. A CEO is going to know more, a director is going to know more than the average public. Yeah. If that is non-public information, they trade it out, they're in trouble. How do they safeguard themselves from going to jail? Well, the
0: answer is is that they, are, they have trading rules around them. There's usually only mm-hmm. um, certain windows of opportunity throughout the year. Um, mm. that they're that they're able to trade what I don't know you mm. might know the answer to this is whether that's a legislative thing or whether they just do that as good governance and, and practice mm. Mm. Um, but generally speaking it'll be you you have to wait until re- re- results have been released and then there's a bit of a cooling mm. off mm. period and then there's sort of like here's a here's a week or two on which you're allowed to to yeah. buy and sell yeah. uh, obviously if you're a substantial shareholder if you own more than five percent as law that is law you do have to disclose that to the market any mm-hmm. any change in that. Yep. But but maybe you can elaborate a little bit on that. Is 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 those are those trading windows mandated by ASIC <laughs> or APRA or someone, or
1: is that just what companies do for good practice? Yeah, great great question. And you know the answer, of course. But thank you for throwing me the other half of the of the answer. Mm-hmm. Um, the trading windows are internal company policy only, and they don't in and of themselves actually preclude the possibility of someone trading on insider information. Mm-hmm. So there are two there are two things that kind of operate together. And hopefully the concentric circle, not the concentric. What do they call the overlapping? The Venn diagram. Venn diagram. Yeah, circles overlap. Yeah, yeah. yeah, where the circles overlap, hopefully keeps them out of trouble and us uh, as external shareholders as well treated as fairly treated as possible. So, the the company trading windows, you say, Ram. They most companies say to their execs, "Look, we don't want we don't want the grief, right? We don't want to have to deal with ASIC on this. Uh, we don't want to have to deal with the public on this. We want you to do the right thing, be seen to be doing the right thing." So, look, you can only trade for two weeks after the results are released mm. to the market. Mm. And so that's the point at which the company is providing every bit of information that's relevant in its own view to the market, which it's supposed to do anyway. And so at that point, that's in the company's view, the times when the market is most likely to be as informed as possible and as informed as, as best as possible as the executives themselves. Yeah. They know as much as we know, we know as much as they know. For that kind of, normally it's a couple of weeks after after the end of a, a quarter or more often a half um, So you get that information. That being said, there is something that can happen inside that trading window. They can, they can have merger discussions on the very first day of that trading window. And so that doesn't preclude them from, uh, you know, potentially actually trading on insider information. So the ASIC rules, ASIC doesn't say, as long as you're trading window, you're okay. And the trading window doesn't mean, you know, you can trade anytime during this window, whenever you want, regardless of what you know, but hopefully the two together are the job. So to your point about, you know, do they know a lot about the company? As long as they've released the right amount of information that they should have released... And as long as they don't know anything that's material about the business they haven't told the market, then they can trade during those those windows. Yep. It, there's, no, there's no perfect rule. You can't make a rule about it. Um, to your to your point, Chris, they they you know, the execs don't want to go to jail for the most part, or none of them want to, but they all want to do the right thing as well, right? Mm-hmm. So they're trying to say, look, we'll tell you as much as we know, then we'll sell our shares. That should be enough. And generally it is. And so that, that's the fairest way to do it. But it's up to them. To, to make their own decision as to whether they are in possession of insider information. Um, not, again, material, non-public information, which are the two criteria. Um, at the end of the day, it's ASIC's decision. Of course, if they if they say, you said you weren't, but you, you did, then you're going go to go to jail. There's been cases of that um, where people have been um, charged and and tried. And I don't... I should, well, there's definitely been insider information, insider trading cases. I don't know about executives. I can't remember an executive going to jail for one, but definitely possible. And It's not worth it. So yeah. um, it is up to the... Um, it is up to the uh, executive to do the right thing. It's up to ASIC to prosecute it, but companies have those rules to try and minimise the risk. Is that yep. fair to say, mate? Yeah, yep, yep. That's all
0: fair to say. And I think it is a very interesting data point what what mm-hmm. insiders are doing, buying and selling.
1: Oh, hang on, hang on, hang on. Don't do that yet. Don't okay. do that yet. Of course, Chris's second question is, okay. secondly, I often listen to you and Andrew and other experts on different podcasts where insider buying is frequently noted as a positive signal for investors. It is always insinuated that insiders buying indicates they know things are going well and this should give investors confidence to buy the shares. However, as noted presume, uh, as noted above, presumably they're not buying based on information that's not publicly available. Hence, if they genuinely have no further information, why is it viewed as a positive signal when insiders are buying shares? And I like this because this is kind of, you know, he's right and in theory, again, there is no extra information they have. And yet, and yet, uh, if they are buying, we say, oh, that's good. Well, hang on, they don't know as much as you do. Why is, why is you know, um, Director John Smith's buying more important than private investor Jane Smith, who has exactly, in theory, the same information? Yeah. It's a good question. I've never really thought about it that way. What do you reckon? Yeah, well, I mean, they, like the rest of us, uh, anyone who buys <laughs> shares
0: indirectly is, is, is yep. overtly saying that the market is wrong and there is value yep. here. Um, yep. and, and they, they might be better informed of that. They might also just be a little bit blinkered. You know, maybe they're too mm-hmm. close to it. Maybe they're only yeah. lo- looking at things through rose-coloured glasses. But I love the saying that insiders sell for many reasons, but they buy only for one. Mm. So I do tend to think that buying is a stronger single signal than selling.
1: Unpack uh, that for me, that saying for a second, mate. Right?
0: So- Let's say I'm a CEO and I own 15% of the company and mm-hmm. I sell a million dollars worth of shares. People mm-hmm. often jump to the conclusion that, oh, something's gone terrible wrong, <laughs> terribly wrong and they're getting out and I should too. And it's like, yeah, well, yeah. one, that million dollars might sound like a lot and is to, to us mere mortals, mm-hmm. but, <laughs> but it might actually yeah. still, you still end up owning 13% of the company and it might be right. entirely due with, well, I've got a tax bill to pay. Or you know what? I just want to buy another ivory back scratcher or something. Like, you know, like I. You live
1: with a high life over there. Yeah. You know, I I don't I don't, yeah, I don't yeah.
0: really fault. <laughs> I, I don't think there there's plenty of companies that I love and still think are good value, but I've still sold mm. some because in my personal yeah. life I need some money for something else. And it might be entirely in uninvestment. I just wanted to completely, you know, um, why new ivory backscratch. Splurge, yeah. Why not? I mean, that's what money's for, right? It's to buy things and to enjoy it. Four and- is
1: not enough. You need five back scratches to really <laughs> have made it in life. but
0: but but, but- but yeah. it, it's not. There is so. There's also yeah. the the history of silent evidence in the sense that mm-hmm. we can point to examples where Insider's sold <laughs> yeah, and then the company right. didn't do well. But we don't. Right. We forget all of the other times where people have done it and actually the company went on to great success. Look at the Afterpay guys, right? Yes, they yeah. were selling shares well below what they got bought out of, and in hindsight, mm-hmm. was that a smart thing to do? No, they should have kept on it. And anyone mm-hmm. who, who got out on that basis alone. Would have cost themselves a lot of money. So there's there's a lot of examples, yeah. um, but so so selling there's, there are definite legitimate reasons as to why you want to do it. That being said, mm-hmm. if there's if there's a a very large and consistent sell and it's happening from a lot of insiders, that's more that's more interesting. Yeah. But the, the other side of the saying is you buy only for one, and that, and that is that you don't have to buy shares, right? Like you could no. or you could buy anything else. So it's it's usually a pretty good sign. Now, at the same time, there are you know you'll see oh a new director has been appointed and they've bought ten thousand dollars worth of shares. Like, well, that's that's just that's purely for optics, right? Like, that's not yes, a meaningful yes. stake. A lot of these people are pretty well off, and mm-hmm. it's, it's like you or I spending you know a thousand bucks or something. It's not it's not like yeah, it's right. it's not right. it's not a high conviction <laughs> play here that they're making. Yeah, yeah, So you you can read into it, but I do think that when you see insiders um, taking significant stakes Mm. on Mm. market with their own money so it's not just they're not Mm. exercising some really favourable options or just getting performance share grants or something like that actually going on market with their own after-tax cash and buying shares in a meaningful way I I think it's look they might be wrong and again there's plenty of examples where people have done that and it's just like well it didn't turn out too Mm. well for you Mm. but it is it it at least shows you some intent or some some internal belief because they don't they don't have the, the only reason why you would do that Really, is because you feel as though shares are cheap and that, that the, the market's undervaluing them.
1: Nice. I am going to say I think insider activity is one of the more overrated investment um, markers, mate. Um, we so you, let's say you're an, let's say you're a director, and let's say your background is in marketing or in sales or in technology or in something other than capital allocation. I don't know about you, mate. I know a lot of wonderful people, a lot of wonderful business people, including people who are on boards and who are executives of companies. I'm not taking investment advice from them, even about their own company. Yeah. Because their ability to value those shares is its own skill, right? And I'm not the only expert in town. You're not the only expert in town and we still get it wrong. Yep. And everyone gets side. it wrong. Yeah. And so, I, you know, if you're if you if you're Jane Smith or John Smith and you're running a company and you buy your share, buy some shares or sell some shares... I'm going to think really carefully about actually even for all of the things that I know you're an insider in air quotes, you're buying or selling shares, what is is the chance you actually can reasonably adequately assess the value of your business? Like not not give great marketing advice to the CEO, not give great supply chain insight to the CEO, but actually be the person who's also – the best person to value and judge the value of the shares of the company. And it's really, really long odds. Yeah. And so we kind of, we kind of give directors, we kind of infer that they are some, as you said, you know, whether they're immortals, they are some extraordinary species of, of superhumans who have this insight and ability and whatever. And I'm like, I'd really... Yeah, in some cases, it's directly insider trading, right? Let's be really clear. Mm. Others, they're doing it because the CEO says you should do it and they happen to be right, the CEO's Right. Sometimes they're just lucky or unlucky. You put you mentioned after pay. Marcus Blackmore famously sold some Blackmore shares at 30 bucks mm. to buy a yacht. Yeah. Right? Shares went to two hundred after that and they're now still a hundred bucks. Yeah. Marcus and Marcus owned was 25% of the company, or would it be more at that point? Mm. That's a lot of money he 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 lost by buying that boat. The boat cost him effectively three times as much as he paid for it. Yeah. Because ha- you could have shares otherwise that are now worth three times the price. Yep. Um and, you know, who, who knows more about Blackmore than Marcus Blackmore? Absolutely nobody. Yeah. And so I just I, – I i really think, mate, I think it's one of those things that we all talk about because we all talk about it because we all talk about it. It's got this elevated status of stuff people should know. Mm. Um, I honestly I, – I just I, – I i really do put very, very little store in it. I don't honestly think it's useful or um, – and the other thing is, by the way, the, the assumption that – Here's the here's the other here's the other citizen right, oh they sold at ten and now the shares are five they knew it was going to fall, mm. no they did I didn't know it was going to fall you didn't know it was going to fall don't pretend the directors knew somehow what the market was going to then subsequently do mm. you, what they did a straw poll of every shareholder and said are hey, you going to sell your shares in the next six months I'll sell mine first mm. of course they didn't know the shares were bloody it's just it is the most idiotic sorry going get it ranty. <laughs> The most idiotic idea that somehow investors selling direct selling before the share price falls they knew it was going to happen mean, if 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 that was possible to know that stuff, they they would they they would be buying and selling regularly and making a fortune doing exactly that. Mm. But they don't, right? It just it just honestly, I find the whole thing, I, it's a sideshow, and it's it's almost for those people who love conspiracy theories, right? Like get yourself wound up in a conspiracy theory and knock yourself out. It's not investing. It's 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 almost it's almost tarot card reading. It's it's that kind of you know, ESP or I don't know something else. It just I don't know. I probably I'm probably going a little bit over the top here, but I I just honestly. I don't think I've ever, ever, ever taken a position or not based on a director buying or selling. I just, I just never have.
0: Well, that's that. That was the point I was going to make. Is that yeah, it's an interesting data point, but it's one of of potentially hundreds, right? And you've you've kind of got these scales as as the good and the bad and the indifferent, I suppose, and you're mm-hmm. sort of stacking things on each side of that and. There's just no company on earth that just everything's positive and there's no negative. There's there's hair on everything.
1: Mm,
0: mm, mm. Um, so you, yeah, do you consider it? Yes, I, I think it's not it's not unreasonable to sort of make note of. Mm, uh, mm. Is it the basis for an investment on its in and of itself? No, absolutely not. And that's true of any data point. Mm, you know, there's mm. there's that you you need to take a, a holistic view.
1: Yeah, I just yeah. Anyway, there we go. Let's move on. A question from Nick. Hi Scott and Ram. Love the show and the banter. You two have fantastic listening. Thank you, Nick. Appreciate it, mate. Just a question about two stocks. Oh, dear. But I know Ram will have some thoughts on. Due to the straw index, I know has featured some of Doc's recommendations at the start of either this year or last year. I'm a long-time listener here. Thank you, Nick. Volpara Health Technologies and Polynovo, both are fantastic businesses that peaked pre-COVID, sorry, peaked pre-COVID, let me get that out, but are yet to get near those pre-COVID highs. I know that Valpara did a capital raising and the hospitals weren't focusing on other health because of the pandemic, but I'm surprised these two are so far off considering how travel and retail have already recovered and made up a lot of ground in the last year. They've both been steadily expanding this whole time too. While well, long-term holders are not too concerned overall, but would love to hear both of your thoughts. Thanks, Nick. What can you share with Nick, mate? Um,
0: yeah, so this is this is a question of what the shares have done as opposed mm-hmm. to what the businesses have done. I, I would yeah. argue. So yep. I probably know Valpara a bit better than I know Polynovo, but Polynovo as a business has done incredibly well. I mean, this this is a loss making. They didn't have any sales until 2016 or so, mm-hmm. and then in that year they made 3.3 million. Just looking at the data now, uh, last year they made 30 million. So they grew their top line ten times over that period mm. um, so the company's growing really 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 rapidly <laughs> uh, now what what gets to the bottom line is a different mm. story mm. and then mm. you get into the weeds on that um, yeah. but it's, it's 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 a similar story with uh, polynovo you know from v- virtually mm. nothing in 2016 to 18 million dollars last year so they're growing really 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 rapidly Um the criticism would be is that while that is true, the company's bottom line hasn't really improved that much. In fact, in Polynovo's case, the losses have, have widened. Um, so what, what I think the, what is probably a, a, the, the, the generalisation here is that you see in these companies really interesting, exciting products, getting lots of traction, making lots of sales, growing really rapidly at the top line, but it hasn't really generated any cash, at least not yet, for shareholders, yeah. and at mm. one point in time, the market probably got overly enthusiastic about it, and so what you're seeing now is 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 maybe it coming back to more reasonable levels. Um, mm. So is is it a is it a question of is the company not doing what it should be doing? Uh, well, probably not. They're they're they they're kicking some real goals there. Um, did the market get a little bit overexcited at one point? So the question is: is the price wrong now, or was it wrong then? Mm. And it it might be. Um it might be more of a case of the market being a little bit ambitious in the past and now now maybe the pendulum mm-hmm. has swung too far, and maybe they've come back too f- i've got to be careful here not to give specific advice and i i don't hold either <laughs> shares. um yep, yep. Uh, but but i think I think that's that's probably the story that 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 you're looking at there
1: i completely agree mate. i think that's that's exactly what you're talking about, the company share price, not the company. Um, we said this, I think, I think it was last week we talked about this. The market could have been wrong then, it might be wrong now, or both might still be right, right? It could be worth even less than the current price. It could be worth more than the previous price it was before it started falling. It could be worth somewhere in between. You said before pretty clearly that the investor's job is to find a, a an assessment of value independent of why the share price is moving. Um, yeah. It's hard. It's it's really, you know, I've given the example. I, I, again, I used the Amazon example last week. I own shares in Amazon. Um, but just that—that that, you know—long periods of nothing or decline, even in a stock that was up threefold over four years. I think it was in the end. Um, but for most of that time, large two very large stretches during that four-year period went literally nowhere or a little mm. bit backwards. Um, so very, very easy to try to find meaning where potentially there is none that being said, as you say, it doesn't mean, they might be fairly, very, you know, they might've been too expensive then or vice versa, but um, worth having to think about. Um, yeah, both businesses seem to be doing well as as I think, as well as I think they can be expected to do given the circumstance, particularly for Polynova, particularly for Volpara, but even Polynova, they're both in, in healthcare in, in a really, really busy um, very, very busy health environment, as you do expect. So you kind of – that's the way I think these things go. It's also worth saying
0: too that, that it's not necessarily a mistake to have been ramping up your costs when there's a lot of – when there's a lot of market to be captured. Yeah, absolutely. There's that, yeah. You know, yeah. it's just like cap, capture the market while you can. Yeah. Um, scale up. And <laughs> it's, it's an absolute mistake potentially uh-huh. for um, – for some of these companies to go no we're going to we want to make sure that we run profitably it was like well actually we've got access to really cheap capital through the market <laughs> yeah, at this point right. in time yeah, we could probably minute. grow yeah, yeah. we could probably grow the top line like 10 20 fold mm-hmm. over the next decade or so like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, the value of a business is is predicated on the entirety of its future cash flow. so if it means losing a lot more now to make a mu- much more later that's an entirely yeah. sensible strategy of course your job as an investor totally. is to determine whether that 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 transition from loss making to profitability when that will occur and how significant will it will be? Cause there's lots of companies that spend a fortune to capture market share and they never, um, and ne- never really turn to, to a nice profitable business. Um, but it's absolutely the right thing to do in a lot of cases. And, and, you know, we've always mentioned it. Amazon is, is the classic example of that. They really delayed profitability for years. Um, but was that the right move? I think I think now we can say absolutely it was because because if if they hadn't, they'd be a much much smaller. Yes, they'd be a they they would have they would have hit profitability a lot sooner, but they'd also be a much smaller business um, today than otherwise they have been. Yep, I think that's
1: exactly right. That's spot on. Hey, let's go to a question from Leo. Um, Leo has so, Scott and Ram, love the show and the band to you two have. Fantastic listening. Thanks. Oh, sorry. That sounds sounds familiar. How good was that? Hi, Scott. What if I could ask a question for the Motley Fool pod is how Leo's question starts. First of all, love the show. That's genuine. (laughs) Long-time listener, first-time caller. My question was following up on the rousing speech Andrew... Oh, dear. Gave on his perspective on crypto, rousing speech, <laughs> namely Web 3.0 and the inevitable emergence of decentralized applications and new models of value transfer. Uh, I'm, I'm half lost and half asleep already, but let's keep going. <laughs> I'd love to get Andrew's thoughts on how we should be thinking about tech investments. So I like this. How we should think about tech investments today and the potential for immense disruption to the likes of Google, Amazon, Facebook, PayPal, etc. I'll stop now to say I own Alphabet, Amazon and PayPal. Amazon is Google's parent company. These are businesses that rely on centralised networks, harvesting data, operating marketplaces and or acting as intermediaries, all of which could become obsolete under the next evolution of the internet. Cheers, Leo. I get no idea, Andrew. So I'm going to throw this one straight to you, and then uh, once you've answered, I'll move on and pretend it never happened. Um, are these are these businesses in trouble in Web 3.0, mate? Well, the maximalists would say yes. Um, to, what I, to, you have to break down already. Maximalists, yeah uh, you know, those
0: that those that are just they've they've seen the potential of this, and then they think it just changes everything. Um, and and I I think that goes a little bit too far. I think probably what I mean I don't think the PTY LTD structure is going away anytime soon. There will be there'll be various niches I and, and use cases that are more applicable to this technology. It's just a technology, put all the this spin and buzzwords aside. It's it's a new type of technology and it's got a lot of interesting use cases. And I think it will be very disruptive in a lot of spaces. I mean, um, DeFi is 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 the big one, sort of that's the, the most obvious one, I suppose, at this point in time. And I think I think there's huge potential there, but I don't think it just becomes something that replaces everything. And that that Google or that is is not going to be able to adapt, evolve, and still be relevant in the years to come. Um, but it is a risk. It is definitely a risk. Um, the the, the it, it I I definitely see the potential, but I but but drawing drawing a line between now and what the eventual mm. resting state is, yeah, how that looks is very 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 difficult. I, mm-hmm. I, I I think the really the best analogy that will re- resonate with most people these days is if you can remember if you were around then um, and investing then or if you just just read up on it what mm. things were like in the late nineties. Um, do you remember? Do you remember it was all about dom- domain names? <laughs>
1: yeah, I do. like
0: everyone was trying to buy domain, yeah. and there were these registers yeah. you could get on yeah. there, and you could oh, get- oh, people
1: th- made a fortune scoring on domain names.
0: Yeah, now, an absolute fortune. Was that a was that a lucrative area? You know, remember when news.com bought news.com, news.com. Yeah, oh, my yeah, God, they're going to have such a massive edge because they've got that domain, <laughs> you know. And it's just like, well, yeah, it proved yeah. that it wasn't actually – we we missed we missed a lot of the significance in the early days. So there's sort of these mm, general mm. truths that, hey, there was this internet thing and it's going to disrupt business models. And, yeah, that's right. And it was actually that's true right. to a yes, very significant right. extent. Right. But there's plenty of – even mm, 20-something mm. years later – there's plenty of businesses mm. that have done things the old way that have done perfectly well. Harvey Norman's a great example of this, right? It's done really great. Mm. And it's been mm. absolute Luddites in this new area. Um, so, it's, so it's not an all or nothing kind of thing. I think that's that's where you've got to be careful. And I think it's also yeah. fair yeah. to say too that I am 100% convinced that this is genuinely revolutionary technology which we've never seen before, which enables things that t- to be done in a way that we've never been able mm. to do them before. Mm. Mm. Um, and I think it'll uh, – but – how, how we uh, find the use cases, how they evolve, um, where they really get traction, where the value is really created in all of that is a much, much, much harder question. Yeah. So it may be that, that the value is captured in the underlying blockchains and the tokens associated with it. Well, maybe they're actually. I saw a really great article the other day saying, "Well, actually, they're, they're very important, but it's actually going to be the DApps and everything, <laughs> decentralized DApps for those that don't know, or the DAOs, the decentralized autonomous org. It's going to be the it's going oh, to I it's right, going right, to be right, the right. layer that rests on top of that <laughs> potentially <laughs> yes. that captures all the value. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. And this is this is why for me it remains a very fascinating area and and a relatively small holding because I think that potential is massive, but. I think I mentioned to you the other day. This is great, David Letterman interview with Bill Gates uh, in in the, you know, in the late '90s, and he's saying, yeah. "Oh, whoa, the internet and it's just yeah. all Bill Gates could think. Bill Gates, right <laughs> on the forefront of this revolution, was talking mm-hmm. about email and chat rooms." And yeah, right. pages.
1: right? Like he right, missed right.
0: the entire significance. and not funny. that he's an idiot, and far from it. Yeah. Incredibly intelligent person who really got his finger on the pot. He just couldn't see, and no one could see exactly how that would evolve. I think that's going to, I think that's going to be the case with yeah. to use the very broad term of of crypto. Yeah. Um. It, and it's in, in 2040 we will we will have settled by then much closer to how this is used. Um, it won't replace everything, but it'll find some really incredible use cases. We just probably don't have a good idea of exactly where where that is. But it'll 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 yeah. absolutely. I, I think it is genuine. It is it is a very natural next step of 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 the internet. And what's where, where it's very attractive in at least in potential is that this is what's interesting with Facebook and its metaverse. So let's say that they, well, they're obviously going down that direction. Mm. Mm. But as a user, you've got a choice to be in the walled garden walled garden metaverse of Facebook, where you can do everything that Facebook lets you sort of do. Mm. or Over here, there's another social network that runs the exact same way, still gives you metaverse kind of uh, mm. functionality and the rest of it, but it's completely open, transparent, run by users, and... Um, Uh, able to be uh, open source. So able to be built on Lego bricks in a way where it's just sort of like, actually, I know that my data is absolutely mine. I know that Mm -hmm. I can, I have absolute faith in how this runs. There's much more optionality. There's much more interest in this kind of area. I think, Mm -hmm. I think that's going to be, I think that's going to be really fascinating to see how it plays out. So that's a really broad, I kind of shoulder shrug kind of answer, but I think it's, (laughs) it's halfway (laughs) in between, right? Like, it's just two different question questions. Though, right? Is is, yeah, yeah. is this is this a is this something? Mm-hmm. Yes, it's mm-hmm. definitely something. Can yeah. we see now with, with with a lot of clarity exactly how it's going to evolve? Not necessarily. Maybe a lot of these tokens and stuff will be like the domain names of the late nineties. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very important point. We still you can still buy n- domain names now and they're still kind of important, but no one's really no, that no. excited about them. And maybe That's that'll be phone. the case.
1: I don't know. Or not? Yeah, exactly. I, don't exactly. Know. I like. I answered almost half of what you said, so that's good. Um, I'm learning. <laughs> mate, uh, no, great answer. Thank you, Leo. Good question, mate. Thank you very much.
0: Motley Full Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener.
1: One from uh, Henry, mate, I like this. Hey, Scotty, was hoping you and the RAM could answer my question either on the podcast or in response to this direct message. Chose to do it via podcast. Henry, so thank you. How do you go about finding fair values on funds? I know dollar cost averaging is the best way to go with broad passive funds, but I often hear people make statements such as AFIC, which is the Australian Foundation Investment Company, a listed investment company, seems a little expensive at the moment. Do the same theory not apply to managed funds or is it just about the total funds under management? Appreciate any response and feel free to paraphrase or rephrase the question if it helps to apply to more people. Thanks for all the general advice and good listening. Mm. That's from Henry. Good one, hey? Yeah, yeah. Well, there's
0: there's one very obvious way, which is you just look Mm -hmm. at all of their holdings. You do a deep dive analysis and come to an independent view of where all the value kind of sits and sort of add it all together and make your assessment based on that. But what's what's, other, what's tricky though is you've got to layer – what you've got to layer on top of that is what they will do in the future. And if it's mm. an actively sort of managed fund, they could decide to sell out of everything tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And the portfolio that they're managing yeah. on your behalf could be very different. So you, yeah. there's that X factor of yes, I guess I can kind of see what where <laughs> things sit right now and make an assessment mm. of value mm. on that. And there might be an arbitrage opportunity between what, how yeah. – how the fund looks in terms of its value versus the aggregate of all of the individual holdings look, um, but yeah, it doesn't doesn't mean that that's going to be the same portfolio they hold, and that that's what makes it really tricky. So it's it's a big, really a big part of it is is having faith and confidence in yeah. in the managers and the strategy and thinking that they're they're good people doing good things. That, yeah, that, like how, how do you do that? I don't know. But track record, we talked about it before. <laughs> track record yeah. is, is definitely a, a really interesting um, thing and, and something worth yeah. uh, making note of. But it, it, it also is no guarantee. Agreed. So it's yep. it's tough. Agreed. It's tough.
1: Yep, agreed. Mates, I'm going to um, take a slightly different view on this. I think Henry was asking about funds, but then talked about AFIC, which is a listed investment company. So I'm going to go down that path. When people talk about, I, I won't say what people think because I don't know what individual people are thinking or even what they were meant at that particular point in time. But every listed investment company or ETF has to publish its net asset value. And to Andrew's point, if let, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it my life really, really simple, right? I'm going to say that there's a listed investment company out there uh, called Woolies and BHP that owns shares in Woolies and BHP mm-hmm. just because it makes my life easy. And in theory, if it owns half of its shares are in Woolies, half of its shares are in BHP, it adds all that together and says the total value of our fund, all our shares all added together, uh, based is, is this much based on the current market price. So you then divide that by the number of units you have in the fund. So you go, okay, well let's say we've got a million dollars worth of BHP and Woolies shares uh, and we've got a million units on issue. So the net asset value is $1 per unit, right? A million dollars worth of assets, a million units, Units, so one dollar per unit is the net asset value. Does that make sense so far? Remember yep. we've done that one. Yeah, okay, yeah. right. So that's the value they publish that. Now, sometimes for reasons best known to the market, that and it's more complicated than this, but but stick with me because the the analogy holds. Um, f- sometimes that fund, the, the the price, the unit price of that fund, or the, it's not really a share price, it's a security price, but I'll say share price is easier. The share price of that fund might be ninety five cents. Now, if you're saying, hang on, there's a dollar of assets per unit, but they're selling for $0.95, then you are getting a $0.05 discount. Other times, the the, the share price of that fund will be $1.05, and there's a dollar's worth of assets in the fund. And at that point, you ask yourself, why would you buy You know, <laughs> those two, though, the, why would you buy use that fund for more than the value of the underlying holdings? And that's the right question. You shouldn't, right? All things being equal. And so that's when people say it's expensive, it's when the share price is higher than the net asset value. And when it looks cheaper, the share price is lower than the net asset value, so that's that's when they normally are saying those sort of things, like it looks expensive or it looks cheap. Okay, it's normally that that difference. Yeah. Now, Andrew's point is also, by the way, right because you might say, well, okay, it's worth a dollar. Net asset value is a dollar per unit, but man, BHP and Woolies are super expensive right now. In fact, they're both trading on PEs of eighty-five. They're not, but let's pretend. Um, I, I, you know, so so even if they are, even if you're buying an asset, a dollar, you know, the, the fund and you buy it for a unit and they're, they're selling for a unit, that's the actual value of the, the fund assets, which is true. If all these and BHP then crash and fall by half, the actual value of the businesses was only 50 cents a share. Mm. But you've bought it because that was the price at a dollar. And so that's this. it's more difficult than most people make out investing in listed investment companies and ETFs, by the way, which I ranted about on Friday, for the same reason. Because mm. you can't just say... Well, the, the assets are trading for a dollar. Therefore, if I buy it for 95 cents, I'm getting a deal. Because the true value of those assets is 80 cents, mm. not a buck. You're actually paying too much. And if that sounds hard work, then yes, it is. And that's exactly what you should have to do to make sure you want to buy uh, units in the fund. Because it really, really, really does matter. If you're buying them, I said, the, the, the net asset value is just the market price, not the actual underlying value. So if you'd have bought... A an, an ETF that held a listed investment company that held shares in Enron and HIH Insurance and help me out here, Ram. Um, Ford, Swift, and Blue Sky and Forge mm. and what else has fallen dramatically? Anyway, you get the idea. If you'd have bought those at at, a, at the then net asset value, you could have said, "Yeah, no, it's 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 fair value," except the assets weren't worth that. Mm. On the flip side, if you'd have bought shares in a fund that held Afterpay and I don't know, Apple and what else has gone up a lot? Whatever. Tesla. You know, mm. Tesla, there you go. Um, and you bought them three years ago at the net asset value. You're getting a great, uh, assuming the price of well, the- Well, you could uh, have, have bought it at, at, right at, now. at
0: 1.1 times net asset value.
1: Right, exactly. Because yeah. now, the share's are now worth you know, 5, 10, to, you know, 20 times the price. And so you, you were getting those businesses cheaper than they should have been trading. Mm. So that's a long answer, mate, but it's, it's, it's a good question, Henry. It's the right question to ask. It is why this investment companies and ETFs particularly if you're looking to make an active decision on where you want your money rather than a passive, just broad index fund. Um, just have a think about where that's... I know, I, know I'm, I know I'm making it harder for you rather than easier, but I'm doing it deliberately because that's what you really, really need to know if you're going to buy units. Now, to be fair, an AFIC or an Argo are kind of quasi-ETFs brought into... They, they own almost everything anyway, and you're unlikely to really make or lose a fortune relative to the market buying those things because they they're actively managed, but they own most of the index anyway. So I'm not I'm not a massive fan of them, but I don't hate them either. Mm. Um and, and yeah, I, I'm giving extreme examples here. They're not gonna they don't they don't just own an Enron and an HIH and, and get Swift, right? So you're not gonna lose a fortune, nor are they making massive bets on on speckies uh, but that that's the answer to your question. But yeah if you're gonna buy any any fund that wraps up something else, you need to know the value or have a view on the value of the underlying assets. Fair to say mate?
0: Yeah and it's it's true of like- Every now and again you come across these kinds of things that, that mm. are like just they're very appealing. It's like whether, you know, if you're into charting or whatever and you look at the moving mm-hmm. average crossover or you look as we were talking right. earlier about director buying and selling. Yeah, and just, yeah,
1: right,
0: right. If only it were that easy, you know, mm-hmm. if, if only there was just like, oh, all I do is find do a scan, yeah, yeah. find a bunch of funds yeah, that are trading yeah. below NAV and buy. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. The, 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 the trouble with it is is that even if it were that easy, Mm. It wouldn't. It wouldn't last because people would start taking advantage yeah, of it, of it. and the very yeah. the very act of arbitrating it would would mm-hmm. would reduce the opportunity because everyone would Correct. everyone would yeah. would buy, and therefore the buying yeah. pressure would push it up, and then the, the opportunity wouldn't exist. So it's yeah, it's just if it's that easy. It's yeah. just I'm always mindful of. I, I as a younger man I was very guilty of this and I would go oh look at this the, the, I, I i point to two or three different data points and go therefore it's cheap and it's just like I've yeah, since realized stupid. I know what i'm doing yeah it's yeah, like right. well if I've seen that chances are a lot of mm-hmm. other better resource smarter people have also <laughs> yeah, seen that right. and that doesn't mean that that doesn't mean that yeah. it's not a legitimate opportunity but you've got to yes. you've got a really question is it is it really realistic to think that mm. I've stumbled across this really neat super simple way and i know that i you know the the listener's not suggesting this, but but just mm-hmm. I I do come across it often enough where people say, "Oh, this is what I do. I just do this," and it's just like, well, it's uh, it, it, investing is hard. It, it it involves a lot of different work. involves a, a fair amount of luck, at least in the short term. And if only it were that simple. If if something seems too good to be true in investing, it it probably is and you need to, you need to you need to have that as your doesn't mean that, that that it isn't a great opportunity but I think that needs to be your starting point you need to you need to go in very skeptical of something that is as simple as that as being mm. a viable long-term means of of generating out performance it's just if it was you know Morgan Stanley and and that would they they would be doing it
1: <laughs> yeah yeah it's interesting. Um, let's let's go to another question, mate. I like this one too. This is this is a quick one for you, mate. So let's make it a quick-ish. Okay. Um, I have a feeling Chris might have his tongue in cheek or he may not. So feel free to answer it either way. Hi, Scott. I've got a question for the straw man. Uh, we, we call him Ram around here, Chris, but we'll, we'll mention strawman.com because I'm contractually obliged. to it. No, I'm not <laughs> with um, I believe he likes slash holds Bitcoin. I believe you're right, Chris. Mm-hmm. I think you might be understating that. Uh, given Bitcoin absorbs a ton of energy, much of which is derived from fossil fuel. Would do you feel Bitcoin holders should pay a carbon tax on their holdings? Thanks, Chris. I'm not sure if he has his tongue-in-the-cheek or whether he's trying to make a point or whether he's just literally oh, stirring point. the stuff. Yeah. Um, shouldn't you be charged a carbon tax on your Bitcoin, Andrew? Uh, I think we should in general have a price on carbon. <laughs> and so any kind
0: of usage, whether it's being used to mine uh, cryptocurrencies or whether it's being mm. used to run an aluminium smelter, like, yeah, I think mm. a price on carbon is a very, very good idea. That's, <laughs> that's capitalism. A on the
1: existence of an asset is interesting though, right? Like if you make something, you're kind of like, it's almost like a Tobin tax because you're kind of, if it absorbs, if we, if we take the point that, I mean, I guess, you know, any transaction, if you go through an foss machine, by definition, it uses some electricity, right? So there's that. Mm. But but if you say Bitcoin uses more energy than the average, you know, f- fiat, because you like the word fiat now because you're a cool Bitcoin kid. Um, <laughs> if, uh, it, but if it uses, I mean, it's almost a, it's almost a tax on each transaction right? almost by definition, which is fascinating in itself. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, so that's, that's the baseline to measure it against.
0: It, does mm. this use ridiculous amounts yeah, exactly. of power? Yeah, it does. Yeah. What's what? Let's add up the energy usage of the global financial system as it currently stands. <laughs> Guess what? Mm-hmm. It uses tons of energy. So that's the. It's, it's like with self-driving cars. It's like the, the question isn't: mm. Has there been an accident with a self-driving mm. car? Does it need to be perfect before they become viable? No, it has to mm. become better than what we've got to become viable. So I think. So I think we we need to have realistic baselines of of expectation here. The other thing I would suggest with this oh, no. is oh, is yeah, is that um, <laughs> the underlying the underlying technology will and is evolving. So mm. they're moving Ethereum example is moving from um, proof of work mm. to proof of stake. Mm. There's now something called with Solana a different type of blockchain which is using proof of history, um, mm. and they're much more energy efficient and and. You, it doesn't the, 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 the way that the technology works is still broadly the same in terms of of, of uh, what it can deliver and what it can promise but it's becoming much more energy mm. efficient over time so it's sort of like you know the first the first internal combustion engines were ridiculously inefficient and spat out heaps of lead and carbon dioxide and carbon monoxide Now the internal modern internal combustion engine still spits out a lot of those things. But it's far, 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 far more efficient. So it's not a static field, um, but yeah, I think it's a factor, and it's something that that is that is I, I don't I don't dismiss it lightly, and I, I think it is very concerning that it is it is so energy hungry. But it's all it's already a problem that is being addressed, and I, I see that being addressed in ever increasing ways. Um, and again, I would just compare it to what's already being used out in the system at this point in time, which is which is a lot. Um, yeah. <laughs> Again, awesome. it's, it's, I, like again it. I just want I just more. Oh, you almost did. Well, I, 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 oh, I, I think also <laughs> that people, on the bulls and the bears are guilty of both of this, is they've got <laughs> their position and they'll yeah, find totally whatever like. they can to reinforce yeah. that
1: position. <laughs> I, you know what? I thought that was – I'm going to agree with you here, mate. I reckon the Bitcoin energy thing was a massive left-field tangent. Like, is it an issue? Yeah, should you deal with it? Totally yeah. an issue, yeah. The whole even, – even good old Elon selling his, selling his Bitcoin. I mean, it's like, dude, you could have known that. You should have known that. And – like if it's, genuinely a, if it's genuinely finally a problem, then fine. And maybe if it's an unsolvable problem, then fine. It just feels like a really left field way to attack Bitcoin. I don't love Bitcoin, as you know. I own some, as you also know. Um, I don't hate it either. I'm, I'm very much squarely in that I don't know camp right now. Mm. But of all the things to bag it about, it doesn't feel like like energy usage is the death now. Maybe I'm completely wrong, by the way, but it just felt like a really sort of you know one of those kind of um I feel like a king hit from the from you know from behind rather than a genuine reason to consider the country. well it's, a, it's, it's, such it's such a its, thing. it's such a broad
0: problem as well energy i mean this is this is what the world is wrestling with right now and cop 26 and this is what it's a yeah. a massive problem it's, i'm 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 happy to sort of out myself as someone is yep. very concerned about the climate and the environment and all of this kind of stuff i think we should be doing lots to do it uh, to To address that and to fix it, a lot more than what we're doing at the moment. Don't get me started. But but it's it's not something that we should directly target to specific sectors. Whether it's something that I happen to be invested in or not, I think it's something that needs to be solved at a at a broad economic level um, rather than any specific one. And I, I would argue this is this is the role of government to do to, to address mm. uh, areas of market failure and and yeah. externalities and the rest of it. So if governments pulled their fingers out and took a much more um, mm. Serious view of this at a at a broad level, then that that would actually feed into because yeah, the, the miners right, right, right. the miners are getting yeah. their, their economic incentive is they get rewarded in these things and they, it needs to be attractive enough. If there was a price generally, not just on them but in, mm. on carbon mm. as well, that would feed back into it as it should. It'd be a very important market mechanism. And I, I and so I'm yes. <clears throat> Do I have Bitcoin? Yes. Do I? I'm interested. A little bit excited about the potential. Yes, I am. Um, is it? Is it uh, is is it alone the reason that we need to be worried about energy usage? No, it's not. there's 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 other far more broader things at, at play. No one's no one's making that same, no one's leveling that that criticism at the aluminium industry, which is one of the most intensive uh, carbon emitters uh, in industries in the world. Maybe they should, but or maybe we should take a more holistic view of it. So I think it's I think it's a fair point. I think it's something to worry about. I think it's I think it's something that's increasingly being addressed but it's something that's just as a single point of focus, it's it's probably a bit unfair.
1: I'm, I'm going to save you from some hate mail, mate. Uh, when you say no one is directing it at the aluminium industry... People say yes, we are, we want a carbon tax, that's true. Your point is we're not saying apply a carbon tax to the aluminum industry only. Yes. We're saying put a carbon tax in place that would absolutely impact the aluminium industry because they're massive. Sorry, I didn't users make it clear, but yes. Rather than no, and yeah. I'm not I'm not I'm not even trying to I'm not trying to pick you, I'm trying to save you from the hate mail when when people hear that and go, is he saying that we should, you know, aluminium industry is the same as Bitcoin? No, in the sense that he's not saying that, you know, only, no one's saying aluminum should be taxed for for uh, carbon emissions, just that it should be applied across the board. It should be across the board by industry. Absolutely, it should. Let's, Mate, uh, let's let's move on before I, I either you get yourself in a hole or I father you out of one and dig you a deeper into one. I live in a One hole. from Patrick, which I like. How's it going, Andrew? Thanks for keeping me on the straight and narrow with good investing advice based on solid principles and behavioural economics. I love that. So I can reflect both during the up, hooray, I'm a genius, and down <laughs> what is happening at oh, times. I know it well. Uh, yeah. a, a bit of a left of centre question. But how do banks, and I like this because we talked about this on, on Friday, how do banks make money off home loans? Now, he's not just asking this. This The next bit is kind of the one I've occasionally had a, um, a philosophical and otherwise thought about. At 2% per annum for a home loan, wouldn't they be better off investing that in the stock market? Yes, the rates will change and have been higher, but still, thanks from Patrick. It is one of those, you kind of think, hang on, the market goes up 10% a year. Banks are making a 2% interest margin. If you had to lack capital, would you put it? In, would, you, would you run a bank or would you invest it in shares? And I think I like where Patrick is coming from, right? Because if you gave me Commonwealth Bank's balance sheet and said, what do you want to do with it? Do you want to run a bank or do you want to invest it in shares? I'd be like, I'll oh, invest it in shares. Thanks yeah. very much. Yeah. But is, that, is it that simple? Uh, gosh, that's a really good
0: question. I mean, <laughs> I have to think about that now. I mean, I think it's a really good benchmark. If you're looking at a company's return on equity mm. um, and there's plenty of... Companies out there that sort of meander around the sort of five to so that's what they're making yeah. or return on invested yeah. capital or choose your metric, yeah. um, not what the profit is and however many billions of dollars, but what is that as a return mm. on the capital that you have employed, a return mm. on funds employed. There's a few there's a few different metrics, there's slightly mm. different ways of sort of uh, getting at the same thing, but if that is if that is much lower than what you could get easily. And confidently and in a low risk way, relatively long term, low risk way. Then, yeah, I, I think I think it does sort of question the validity of it. At the same time, Commonwealth Bank is not an investment house; it's a bank. That's that's what they do. Um, that's what you're signing up for when when you buy it. So they got they need to sort of do the best that they can in in their sandpit that they operate in. And I think a lot of shareholders would be pretty unhappy or surprised if they were just sort of say, "We're just selling everything and then putting it all into the market." Um, but I don't know. I'm, I feel as though I'm probably missing something here. What, 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 what would you say?
1: So I, I love the question. I think you've you've hit on the point I was going to make at the end, mate. There, which is to some degree, banks are banks because they're banks, <laughs> which which is both useless and and useful at the same time. That is, it, I'm not going to necessarily deposit my money uh, if I'm a, if I'm a depositor with someone who's going to go put it in the stock market, mm. right? The whole idea of if you about you get your money paid into a bank account. You trust the bank is going to be there, keep it safe, look after it, don't do anything stupid with it, and it's going to be there when I want it back. Now, I'm not necessarily going to say to my boss, "Hey, pay my my uh, my monthly salary into a stock market ETF, a, a Vanguard ETF, um, and if the market falls 20%, then I'm not going to be able to pay my home loan." Right. So, so they need the depositors need demand certainty. They demand capital security, and and effectively now it's government guarantee. But even without that, um, banks were required to keep a certain amount of money, basically kind of safe in air quotes, so that there was no run on the bank. So they had the money to pay if it came to it. So that they're buying it. so imagine if imagine if everyone wanted to take the money out of the Commonwealth Bank tomorrow, they had to sell half the ASX to do it. Mm. Um, it so so you know the, the the very nature of it being a bank is not just about what the bankers do with the money they're given, but why are the people give them the money in the first place. Mm. Mm. And so if you think about their think about their um, their capital positions. And it's a bit circular, but they get money from depositors and they get money from the international money markets. Now, neither the depositors nor the international money markets are going to give the Commonwealth Bank money if it says, so what I'm going to do is mm. I'm going to go and invest in the stock market, okay? And I'll pay you back, promise. They'll be like, oh, hang on. If the stock market goes down and it's, you know, the $100 becomes 90 and I want my money back because I cycles every three months, you may not be there if the stock market falls either temporarily or permanently or for long periods of time. Imagine that during the GFC, right? You got to meet your, your your requirements of depositors taking their money back out and the wholesale money markets as the market just grinds lower and lower and lower for 18 months of just endless grinding lower, right? So part of the thing is they're a bank because they're a bank. Investors invest, or oh, sorry, depositors put their money in because they know it's safe and they know they can get back the exact dollars they put in without fear of that sort of stuff. And, as, and on the other side, the banks then... Justify that faith of their depositors and the wholesale money markets by saying we will lend it to people who largely, mostly have homes or who have businesses, but are going to secure that loan against their homes and so on and so forth. So it's kind of one of those things where, yeah, if you gave me a billion dollars and said, "What do you want to do with it?" I'd say, "Well, I don't have, I don't need that money right now. I don't mind if it goes down for a while." So my risk tolerance, my my need for that money, the cash flow requirements of me as an entity aren't the same as a bank who has to meet those um, meet those cash kind of positions, those cash requirements, at basically at call. That's what an at call account is, right? It's like, here, you have the money. Um, you know, even, even a term deposit, a two-year term deposit, well, if you'd done it at the beginning of the GFC, by the end of it, you couldn't give the people their money back. Mm. And so then what do you do? Mm. Um, so it's, it's kind of that one. It's a really good question, Patrick. I love it. And as you say, I absolutely would happily take a stock market return over a 2% net interest margin that the banks make. And we talked about that on Commonwealth on, on Friday, but uh, it's because they're a bank almost by definition and they're not they're not given an unlimited amount. If they use shareholders' equity to invest wow. in shares, I would agree, mm. but, but the, the amount of um, debt they have is normally 10 times the shareholders' equity. So you don't get the opportunity just to invest the shareholders' equity. You're investing depositors' cash and you're investing wholesale money market cash and you just need... A more certain cash flow from that, uh, and, and frankly, people are going to lend you the money if they if they think you're going to go and take big risks with it. So, yeah,
0: you, 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 that, that's the other thing. Like the net interest margin isn't the full picture here. So, so Commonwealth Bank, as of the last full year, had eighty billion dollars in equity. And equity is just a fancy mm. way of saying net assets. So, everything that oh, they yes. own, yep. all the money that they own, yep. take away all the things that they owe to other people, mm-hmm. and they're left with eighty billion dollars. Well, actually, their profit. Based on that, was an eleven percent return last year.
1: Yeah, right. It wasn't too. I mean, historically, it's it's coming down a bit. Actually, it used to be
0: more closer to fifteen percent. So they're not as profitable as they as they were. That's a whole Mm -hmm. other. That's a horse of a different color, as they say. (laughs) Um, But but in terms of in terms of the the money that they are making on the equity that they have, it's far better Mm. than the two percent interest margin for for Mm. for that leverage, largely because of that leverage component that you mentioned.
1: Nice, yeah, I like it. That, that's a really good point to make as well. But yeah, it's it's um, it's something I've thought through as well, and I really love the way you thought about through you thought it through, Patrick, because it's exactly exactly the right question. It's it, it's a question of you know, there are bankers, there are a bankers, there are bank a bank, and that has requirements, and they wouldn't be in business or do what they do. Uh, if they had a different capital structure with different intent. Now, by the way, manage funds are managed funds <laughs> and managed funds, and you can you can invest in either uh, knowingly and knowing what you're getting or what you're expecting. Uh, so both options are available to you. But if you're in the business of a bank, then your depositors expect certain things. So I don't I don't think that's unreasonable. No. Hey, time for.
0: Oh, go on. I was just going to say that I think that's why of all the various metrics out there, things like return on equity, return on capital, are very mm. much worth worth uh, looking mm. at. Um, mm. Because that, that that shows you the profitability of the business more, more mm. than anything mm. else. And and if, yes. if they're consistently yeah. getting really, really, really low returns on equity, you do have to question <laughs> yeah. the business model there. It's yeah, just like do. it's not yeah. – this is like uh, – uh, 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 I'll pick a random example here. Origin Energy, big blue chip, mm. top 50 company, mm. their return on equity is usually around 5 to 7%. Of the money that they have at their disposal, they're getting really terrible returns. Now, that's far different to a business that might be much smaller and maybe the absolute quantum of profit isn't nearly as much. But if that business is is getting a 15 20% return on equity or (laughs) or to get a bit further down the rabbit hole, they're getting higher returns on incremental equity, so the money that Mm -hmm. they are not paying out in dividends – so the money that they keep, if they're able to get that and then reinvest that at r- r- high rates of return, that is an outstanding business. And that is going to drive long-term earnings per share growth. A business mm-hmm. that's retaining lots of money and generating a 5% return on that, well, it kind of puts an upper bound on what the earnings growth is going to be. So it's why mm-hmm. it's so mm-hmm. fundamental to look at that. And in companies, the, the return on equity is a bit of a tricky one because it can move around for various reasons in various reporting periods. But companies like Origin, which have such a such a woeful uh, return? There, uh, mm. it it does really make you question things. Yeah. And lo and behold, exactly. lo and behold, yeah. they've done all of this. And what has their earnings per share done? Well, it's gone mm. down over the last ten years and moved all over the place. It's been really ordinary investment because it's a really ordinary
1: business. <laughs> uh, yeah, yes, I like it. I like it, mate. Um, let's uh, one last question. You've got time for one more question? Sure, I think we do. I think we do. I think we'll take it from Nick. Uh, it's 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 a multiple choice question, mate. Imagine, cast your mind back to university or high school. We're gonna A, B, C, or D answer. Okay, okay, here we go. Hi guys, I'm a long time listener, first time caller. I'm 26 years old and have subscribed to the Motley Fool's 2021 Discovery Portfolio at the start of the year, which consists of 27 high growth small to mid cap stocks. I also have a couple of speculative junior mining stocks plus a couple of picks from hidden gems. I've currently got 150 grand invested in my portfolio with no debt. Good man. And currently renting, I can afford to put two and a half grand into the market a month. Good I already feel like I have too many stocks to keep track of, though. I like the analogy that your portfolio is like a footy team. And to just pick your best players, I've been tossing up a few options for my future investing. Should I, A, find a couple of ETFs to fit my risk portfolio? He talks about the NASDAQ 100 ETF, uh, the ACDC, I think they talk like about lithium or electric vehicles or batteries or something, yep. um, and robots, whatever those? and dollar cost average into them? Or B, Should I dollar cost average into the stocks I have now? Or C, should I just invest in an ETF like VGHD, so Vanguard High Yield maybe, and minimise my risk? Or D, should I continue to buy individual recommendations? I have so many questions I could go on forever. There are so many options out there. Would love to buy you a few beers and pick your brain. I know you can't give personal advice, but I would love to hear what your thoughts are on the podcast. Full on, he says, P.S., love the content. Keep up all the hard work. That's from Nick. Thank you, Nick. It's very kind of you to say mate. So there you go. Uh, 27, well, 27 stocks plus some miners, plus some gems. So let's assume it's, I'm going to say 35, mate, roughly. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's putting extra money in. He's only 26. He's like, man, I've already got a lot. What do I do? Do I ETF it? Do I dollar cost average into the current stocks? Do I just buy an ETF and minimise my risk? Mm-hmm. Or do I continue to buy individual stocks and just let the <laughs> let it roll? I think it's always a good idea to
0: remember that whatever shares you've got now with the press of a few buttons that could be turned into cash and it's more about where do you think the best investing opportunities are going forward Mm -hmm. so in a lot of times I find that when I look at I find I've got a little bit of extra cash in my pocket and I want to invest it I I try to look at it anew and say well where's the best Mm. based on what I know today based on the opportunity Mm. set available to me today where is the best set Now, that might lie within my you know, um, I forget who said it. Again, you know, it was, uh, might have been another Peter Lynchism. But you know, <laughs> sometimes the best stock to buy is, is already the one you own. When you already own, yeah, that's uh, Lynch. Yeah, uh, and that's that's really great advice. But sometimes it's not. Mm. Um, so you have to. Mm. It, 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 that, that's that, that's again another answer which has to be it depends. So I, I would I would I would remember mm. that you you can change things really quickly. Yes, there's tax considerations, and yes, it's probably worth having a little bit of a think about, but. But it's going to depend on what you think of your current holdings versus what do you think of the opportunities that are outside of that. And if you think that there are better yeah. opportunities outside of that, then that's where you should put your money. If you think it's within mm. the portfolio, then that's where, should, that's where you should put the money. Maybe a little bit of a think around waiting. So if, you, if it turns yeah. out that your favourite uh, investment, one you think has got the best potential, is already 30% of your portfolio, maybe, <laughs> maybe don't add too don't much. Don't. You've already got huge exposure. You don't need to sort of up the yeah. risk on that. But uh, that's how I think about it.
1: Yeah, I like it. Um, It's really, really hard to answer, Nick. Um, And it does come down to your personal circumstance and preferences, really honestly. So I love the football team analogy. My only concern is uh, to—I'll uh, make it a quicker term analogy. Um, you want to stick and commit at some level, right? If you keep rotating the openers, if you keep dropping the the fast bowlers, if you keep throwing you know the spinner in and out every second test, you're not going to get a lot of cohesion in the team. You're going to upset the apple cart, and they don't need to work together in the same way uh, in a portfolio. They're not—they're not relying on each other, but. The odds that the guy with the, the, the highest average last game is going to be the guy with the highest average next game is probably unlikely, right? Not that averages happen mm-hmm. per game, but you know what I'm saying. Um, so you just want to be a little bit careful. The idea of the footy team is right. What I would say is, if you're going to limit the number of stocks you own, ju- arbitrarily, um, don't be tempted to make that too small such that you feel like you have to make too many changes too frequently, right? Otherwise, what happens is, let's say it's a footy team. Let's say I'm going go to a rugby union for fun. Let's say you've got a 15-player team if you go, oh, man, this, this new player, he's a gun. Wow, what do I do? I'm going to have to throw one of the guys out of the current team. Okay, well, I'll do that because I really love this new thing. Next time you see what player I play with, say, oh, man, he's awesome. Got to put him in the team. Who do I drop to get him in the team? And so you end, up being, you end up being active, even though you want to be a long-term investor, you get so excited about the next new idea, you're kind of like, oh, well, I'll drop something else then. And what you end up finding is, despite you want to be a long-term investor, you end up changing half your portfolio every year because you're trying to make room for the next good thing, next big thing, the next exciting new thing. And it's really tempting to do. So if you're that sort of person, I would say add, don't try and replace just for your own sake because otherwise you're going to have heaps of trading costs, probably lots of tax. And frankly, the chance the new thing is better than the existing thing is probably 50-50 at best mm. um, and possibly worse because if you've done the work on quality in the first place, the new thing is rarely better than the old thing. And what it is... It's, it's rare, but you know, do it when it when it makes sense. So if you're that sort of person, I would add rather than replace. I always love the idea of ETFs as part of a portfolio to, to spread your risk, particularly if you've, I mean, you've got a portfolio which is very, you say high growth, small to mid cap, um, some junior miners, uh, it might make sense for you as an investor to say, yeah, I might, uh, you know, uh, d- am I good at this yet? Am I sure I'm going to be right about these stocks? Um, or do I want to have some diversification? So I think about that. You don't necessarily need to, but have a think about it. Uh, I wouldn't just buy the stocks you own now, though. For the sake of it, I think the chance that the flip side of most comment about don't keep changing stuff because the new thing is exciting, the flip side is also true. Fast forward this twenty years, what are the odds that the best companies in twenty twenty one are the best companies in twenty forty one? And if you made yourself stick with what you happen to have at twenty six years old, by the time you're forty six, fifty six, sixty six, um, I think you, it's one of those. Um, just just want just be careful about how that kind of plays out for yourself. So there you go. I would I would the other thing is David Gardner says. Um, he's got a big portfolio. I think he's probably got more than 80 companies. He's a Motley co-founder. He makes the point that over time, the, the losers fall to such a level that you don't have to worry about them. Yeah. And so the winners look after themselves. So in terms of, if you've got 80 stocks, he's probably, I'm going to speculate here. I would say David's top 10 stocks, I, I'm making this up, by the way, I have zero inside knowledge in his portfolio. Um, I would imagine the top 10 stocks are probably 90% of his portfolio Yeah. because he lets his winners run. And so in that case, does it matter there's 80 stocks? No, because the bottom 40 are probably worth 5% mm. and the top 10 are probably worth 80%. And the ones in the middle are kind of worth keeping an eye on. Mm. And so do you, does he care about the 80th largest stock in his portfolio? I bet you he doesn't even know what that is. Mm. Um, doesn't sell it because there's no need to sell it. You can if you want, if you want to free up the money and put, put it somewhere else. But by letting kind of the winners run and do their thing and when the, winners get, the losers get small enough, they're not relevant anymore, then they're almost not worth thinking about. That kind of becomes its own story if you don't think about – 80 equal slots, but the the that end up happening to, to Rams point as things go well or go badly. Yeah, it's what the pie chart looks like, really, doesn't it? Yeah, that's yeah. a good way to put it. Exactly. I, you know, what? I'm I'm a Comsec customer. I never, until in my memory, until yesterday, literally yesterday, clicked on the column heading to sort the stuff in order of portfolio weighting. It just defaults to alphabetical. I've always looked at, I literally always looked at it alphabetically. And I clicked on it by and went, Oh, that's cool. You can see it by <laughs> by waiting. <laughs> I do that it all just, the time. We, I did that. I, have never, yeah. I didn't even think to do it. Which like, is, you know, anyway. When I did it, you get exactly that sense, right? I've got positions that are larger, much larger, and positions that are smaller and much smaller. And it just it does remind you that, okay, well, these are the ones that are going to make a difference in my portfolio. And the others are literally like a double or half. And of course, I'd notice it in absolute dollar terms, but not that much compared to the biggest ones going up or down by. You know, a couple of percent each. Um, so I think that's probably how I rather rather think about the absolute number in equal weightings. Think about it as proportions, as as Ram says as the, the pie chart. Yep. Anything else, mate? No, I think I think we covered that. we still got some questions left, which is awesome, but we want more questions. I'll tell you what we'd actually do. I haven't you and I haven't talked about this yet, Ram, but we're getting to that time of the year when we are gonna do our level best to give you an episode every single week, right through the Christmas New Year period, because we're that sort of people. Um Ram's nodding he's got no choice now. I've just said it's like
0: a podcast. news <laughs> to me, but okay let's still-
1: <laughs> <laughs> we always have we always will try to if we can. What that means is we'll start to pre-record some episodes because our our, our partners at listener will take some time off. We will have some time away or just want to do less stuff. so we'll pre-record some episodes. I would love if you can please send us your questions um we will put the anthem over the f- next few weeks um mate it's it's a it's as we record this it's a month and uh, one week till Christmas day if you can believe that. Um, Anyway, so please do send us your questions. Um, We will try and get them answered. But yeah, send as many as you can. If you've got any questions, you've ever wanted to know things, you kind of thought, well, I'll ask them why I ask them. Now, you know, sometimes, very occasionally, we'll leave a question. If we've answered it a dozen times before, we probably won't repeat it for the sake of it. But... We will. The other thing I'm going to ask you is if you have a topic that you want us to discuss generally, not even necessarily a question, though there are, the question's are almost by definition, but if we if we put you in the program director's seat, we don't have one, by the way. If we, if we had a program director, we made you the program director, what would you like us to talk about? Particularly over that period, because we'll pre-record some stuff It won't be as topical or newsy or kind of instant, but it gives us a great chance to step back a bit and go, hey, let's talk about investing. Let's talk about companies. Let's talk about the economy. Let's talk about valuation. Let's talk about stuff. So, we're in your hands. Please let us know what you'd like us to talk about. Otherwise, we're going to make it up as we always do. And we're happy to do that. But we, as I say regularly, we'd rather uh, answer your questions and make it up ourselves. So, email us info at fool.com.au. Or I'm going to go with me first, only because Ram doesn't generally field the questions for topics. Uh, so, hit me up on Twitter or Insta at TMFScottP, or hit me up on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Scott Phillips. Money, you can direct message me from there. Uh, Please give us questions, topics, ideas. If you want to hear discussions about certain things, please let us know what those things are. We would love to cover them and love to cover them over the Christmas break. So please let us know. If you want to get in touch with Ram or follow Ram on social media though, you still should do that. Um, Follow him at Sage underscore Simeon or at the Strawman account at Strawman Invest. And The Motley Fool's accounts on Insta and Twitter are that, the Fool AU. And Facebook.com slash The Motley Australia. Until then, and thank you for in advance for sending those through, until next Friday, full on. Cheers. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned.
0: General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691. Listener.